एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं इनोवेशन and this is what makes tushar's achievements so impressive tushar is a silver medalist from iit delhi with extensive experience of scaling up businesses both in india and the us he started skeps to solve the customer experience problem in the lending space in the us and it is one of the most elegant use cases of blockchain technology that you would have ever heard of and while the starting point of skeps is solving the experience of the borrowers but in the long term Skeps is going to become like a Visa or a Mastercard, essentially a network of pipes connecting borrowers and lenders through merchants. Here's Tushar talking about his amazing journey of building Skeps. If you like to hear stories of founders, then we have tons of great stories from entrepreneurs who have built billion-dollar businesses. Just search for the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app like Spotify, Ghana, Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the show. So, what led to Skips is very simple: is that at Lendingmore we were talking to a lot of merchants, and these are the big players. and what we are trying to go to these merchants now think about the likes of home depots or airline companies so i was always part of this uh, i was consulting these credit card companies so i was part of these co-brand deals so like in american airline and city has a co-branded relationship chase and united has a co-brand you know right yeah yeah so i was part of these co-brand relationships and i know the challenges because i was at the table when merchants and chase or cities or amex or the world used to negotiate and the merchant used to say hey you have to increase my approval rate you are only serving my 50% of the customer because your customer is 700 fico but my customer is 300 to i student to all the way to an elderly person like everyone is my customer right i don't look from a credit lens and also bank cannot go beyond it so right so there is always a tussle around it and then bank used to ask for data sharing hey can you give me this data and merchant says no this is a confidential data i cannot share with a consumer concerned without you a simple thing is that how many international flights nothing from a bank point of view how valuable is that information that suppose if someone who is traveling from a south asian country to us and travel multiple times do i need to look at their credit history i can probably give them a credit card easily just because of the business travel they do but that data is coming so so when i was at lenibon i went to these merchants very candidly that look we know where the bank stops and we know where we work and because the product is created by the people who have worked in the banks this product is very well aligned with the bank we don't charge payday types of lending rates it's not predatory lending it's a very conscious risk based pricing with a collection in house collection team so we treat our customer with utmost respect so it's a very logical fit that how i can supplement your approval rates and we are not here to grab your co brand exclusive contract we are just asking where the bank is stop we can help you seems very natural fit to me but uh, lending point was not doing a credit card right yeah yeah but we are saying that lending solution so credit card i always like as a lending solution like so it's a product if you want to book a journey or if you want to do a medical transaction you can put it on a credit card or you can do it so 
so that is where it was eye opening that when merchant we talk merchant said that yeah look i believe you that you may be a very good lender and we have no but today we are not short of the lending solutions now i am not saying that i am comparing you with that but our problem is bigger that how to fit in that experience because today how the experience work is that home depot has 8 to 10 lenders and maybe more across that so the problem is that when you come a customer comes and they have these and different lenders have a different platform so they come and apply so now either contractor or a head or a person who is sitting behind it they see you okay what kind of a profile they make a judgment call around it then they say okay you apply with city bank <laughs> now in that case there are two scenarios can happen if you are a bad credit customer though you look you are a very good home depot customer but when you apply you get declined very awkward position for a merchant merchant hate the second option is that they directly put you on a platform which give you a higher approval rate a fintech rate and you get a 15% interest rate product when you are an 855 customer that's also not a place and this only one way in the way in us the credit work it's a waterfall approach so they can only put you on one because the way underwriting happens is that even if you're applying on a website or anywhere you have to enter your information and that information goes to the lender platform where they do all the magic around underwriting and everything and then give the answer back so because you have to send the information you can send it one at a time so we call it a waterfall approach you send it to one if it gets approved offer if it get declined then so now in this case what is i just talk about what is the right way to structure it and that is if you structure it with a bank then fintech and all then this is the right way to structure it for 700 plus fico but it is absolutely the wrong way to structure it for a 650 fico customer period because he will always start with a decline first you see mm. the second thing is the problem in the us industry is that when you get an inquiry on your file your fico drops so if he's get if the file is getting four five inquiries then by the time consumer actually lands on their right product they are exhausted they are exhausted in their trade and this is where i am very passionate about it because now think about how flawed this structure is so you are right this is designed for a prime customer but a 655 he gets declined his credit score get impacted and by the time he come to his own lender where there was a fit he is getting a product which is subpar than he could have originally got so suppose if he had directly applied he would have applied as a 655 but now this lender is seeing him as a 655 so he is giving him an expensive product than he could have originally got and for what because for no reason he was put through a process which was suboptimal for them mm. Mm-hmm. and no fault of his so this process just designed to give them a more expensive product around it and spoil their credit score so that is where i am fundamentally passionate about this thing is that no fault of the consumer you end up getting with a more expensive product and a very poor experience around it and that was the problem of the merchant and then we just took this problem i said this is a problem so that is where we said that lending is not a problem of course L- lending point i still believe is one of the exceptional companies around it and then there are more like there are 7000 lending institution in us but the problem is how to make them work for our end consumer so that is where the whole idea of this platform is started that how to solve this waterfall approach in one and now we took a very hard step at the problem we said the only reason that this multiple inquiries happen because each time consumer has to go to the different platform to get underwritten everyone is using the same data because everyone is still in the bureau so we fundamentally said that is there a different way of doing it we flipped the process we said rather than taking consumer to different platforms can we bring their underwriting models into one environment so rather than i'm hopping customer from one platform to another can i bring all the intelligence into one platform and quickly run all of them simultaneously so instead of taking one decline and all can i directly 
connect you with the right partner right there. So we flipped the process. We said, don't take consumer to the issuer. Let which issuer intelligence to where consumer is because data can be bring in any platform. So once now start thinking about this way, then the biggest challenge is that data will never be a challenge because data can be pulled in any because it's a third party bureau data. So it can be pulled in any platform. The biggest challenge is how to move the underwriting intelligence into it because being part of the bank before I knew nobody will share their credit model with me or with much that is their bread and butter and that is their core differentiator. That is where our familiarity with blockchain as a technology came in. We said, this is where blockchain comes in very, very handy because now if using a technology, I can, without looking at their proprietary information, I can move their underwriting models into one environment. Then nobody, so nobody gets to see it. Only issuer knows what is behind it. Mm -hmm. I can underwrite the customer using their logic, but not knowing what is inside the box, but I can the data and get yes and no answer and then i can present the option to the consumer and then we can make the connection and let the issuer complete the fulfillment part of it so we first use blockchain to hide the information from us or from merchants so nobody in the ecosystem can see the information the second thing which we say that blockchain is because it's a real-time network lenders will have a complete control over their model because if they need to update their credit policy they can do it in real time so first thing is that nobody sees their information they can update their credit policy in real time. And third is auditability. Why would they trust Skeps or any other company that it has been executed? The model has been executed as per. I don't trust us. Trust the technology. Everything is recorded on blockchain. So you can go back and pull the information and say, like, is my model run the right way? Absolutely. This is a documented evidence of it. You don't have to trust merchant. You don't have to trust Skeps. So the trust, the information protection, and the real-time connection of the network. All three things of the blockchain played beautifully how to enable this model. This is the match. Like there is a good match between the technology and the problem. And then we started developing the platform around it. So did you uh, go deep into the solution while working or did you quit and then start working on it? Or, you know, like tell me about how, how it actually got launched. So I think when you are starting up from a startup point of view, and we did it, we did, we had a couple of products. Like I, this was my third journey. I would not say that we got funded in the first two, but we experimented with a lot of products before. So when we started this company, we were very clear that we have to, yes, we have an idea. So one is that first thing we did is that we tested the idea in the market that does this problem statement resonate? Yes, we had it. So we were, we, we resonated it with multiple merchants around it. And everyone, we talked to some of the very resident expert in the payment space, like people who have done this in the last decade and all. And it resonated. So we don't have to explain to them. They said that, yes, this is a problem. And if this system can work, if it is compliant, this is a good fit. We got a very, very strong validation about the problem statement that this is not the problem statement which we created. It exists. That was our first win around it. Because I always say that in my consulting days, the hardest part to sell is to create a problem for a client. Like your solution comes first. I have to sit on the table and tell you you have a problem. And that's the biggest part. Because if I can convince you you have a problem, then the solution can sell him itself. So when I found that I don't have to convince you about the problem, then it's just the solution, right? And nobody else has a solution. So first principle is that the problem is well defined. And it's not that you are advocating the problem. It's the industry. Then the second is that you find your first client because you have to make sure that the solution works somebody who have to who trust you so this is where we were fortunate enough to find a client with like our first client was renovate america and they were looking for a second look program which like they like the lending point product and they were doing the financing in the first look and they didn't want the second look program 
and we told them about this platform and their eyes lit up they said yes this this kind of an experience that if you do one credit pool and you can directly give them a option it's absolutely amazing they, they and then because of their belief in the product they they were willing to invest not invest when i say they're willing to invest their effort around creating this solution because some clients can say show me where it is working so you have to find your partner who says that i believe the idea as strongly as you so i i give a lot of respect to them that they believed in us we created a platform for them and we made it live with them and it was a success it was a very good success everyone loved the experience their contractor loved the experience and then the ball start rolling because now we have a working platform right so your first client is and that is where like i still have my affiliated with lending point because it was it was helping lending point it was helping renovate america and we were the platform we are not going to compete with them and that was i was very clear that as a platform i will never compete with my clients so i will never become a lender myself right right okay i, I want to understand uh, you know when you decided that okay renovate america agreed to do a pilot with you even though you had blockchain as a solution to solve for privacy but still i'm sure banks are like you know slow decision makers risk averse how did you get them on like how did you navigate that very good point so when you are in an enterprise sales program and particularly when the industry which are very well established for the right reason and have a lot of guidelines so it's not easy to maneuver them right the banks we all know right and for the right reason so first thing is actually that as i said that the i'm going back to the, my fundamental policy of respecting your field of play because if you come and believe that let me trash it and let me say that why people are not doing this good luck with that so fundamental question of like so i started with that respect look bank has a process and there is reason why they as an institution they exist <laughs> people can point a lot of shortcomings about it but there are a lot of good things which also come out of bank so when you have this fundamental respect then you come to the next level that how to how to bring them on board of this thing so first thing is that when we designed this platform our familiarity with the banking process was very immediate we said look we will have a least set of disruption in their current process so let's bring a technology which can sit but they don't disrupt existing process so what i said is to bank look bank what we are doing is that suppose if you are in a home depot system we are just and you give your model so one is that how your model we are not seeing it so we will we'll create a bulletproof system we will go and showcase it that your model is not accessible everything so the beauty of blockchain is that everything will be installed in their premises we are saying that look once we come and install like a microsoft word our software is very similar to microsoft word you install it on your server and you cordon it off we don't have any ongoing access to it so your model sits in your premises under your control first thing checked off no control to us second is we will showcase you that none of your information is flowing out of the network we will demonstrate it technology that nothing is and your infosec team and we we work on them to showcase it not you have to trust so we have to give them a comfort we have to make sure that we give them the right control and the last thing which we did that look we are just doing a pre approval on behalf of you so we are running your model giving a customer an option and once a customer selects the option then your current process takes over as is because we will send the pii to you you do your own data pool your the customer information the application information will come to you because once a customer says i want x product then that your name address information come to you and your current process will take over so no change we are just creating a one more supplemental an extra step into the process to manage the customer experience so long story short we did least disruption into their system so that they can relate to it we just portion it as an extra step which is a better consumer experience and last thing is giving you control throughout this process not us taking control of it. 
but that is how you like you work through it of course now you there are still challenges around it so being a one client having it operational gives you one thing then we were fortunate enough to work with the, like the bureaus and all they bless the process so they bless the process the third is that then we constantly trying with the banks we we work with some of the reputable like excel and other agencies to say that yes this product work or putting their weight behind it having a logo of excel backed company funded company also helps so those little little things add credibility to those entire thing to make people come. and once you win your first bank then the life becomes much more easy right here you could integrate both with banks as well as with nbfcs exactly so and that's the last thing which we do that that was in our hand to design a solution in such a way that it becomes plug and play so the complexity of the blockchain is never exposed to any of our partners whether the merchant or these nbfcs or banks we made it a plug and play de- deployment you just give us a server space and we can install this in 2 hours so when you did the pilot with renovate how many partners did you get on board for that pilot so the renovate is a very interesting example is that renovate so they they do have a lot of contractors so they were with 2000 like there were thousands of contractors on their platform and their reason was they were looking for this kind of a solution because they were only approving 700 plus 51 their contractors were only getting so when a contractor walks in so this is how the system works so suppose akshay tushar have a need to renovate their kitchen so they will call up a contractor contractor will show up first they will do an estimation that okay it will cost you around 20000 dollars fair enough then contractor will ask you a simple question how would you want to pay for it in most cases this is a big amount they will say like look i would do you need a financing help and most of the cases people will say yes i would like to explore it that is when they take out a platform like renovate america to say well let's see what options you can get so in that platform customer applies on your kitchen top and that is where the contractors were getting close to 45 50% approval rate because in us 50% of the population is below 705 so they by design they were getting 50% approval and you would immediately get an additional approval product so if someone is not approved by your product they will be approved by another person product and contractor will not think it once the customer product is there then it's customer once the customer says yes i like this product and i want to complete the product then they can work with their nbfcs over phone and all to get the lending that is contractor is very happy because contractor job is to just give you an offer how you complete the fulfillment they are out of mm-hmm. so this was the biggest success that the moment they install our box the next day the all the contractors were able to take advantage of this solution without going any underlying training and all because nothing changes on the front end that was the key for them so that was an immediate success and they received very very positive feedback from the industry from their clients Their, their approval rate instead of fifty percent would have become sixty percent or seventy percent. Eighty percent. It immediately went from fifty to eighty percent. So you see, without changing the experience in their entire network, they were so that was the huge thing. No change in customer training, and you immediately got the benefit across. It. So all their contractor loved the product. Here, uh, what was the deployment you did uh, with their existing product only? You essentially put in that intelligence so that it goes to the or did you? build those partnerships and bring uh, that entire suite of partners to their platform no it, it was this because their partners were connected their contractors were connected to their system so we are not going to disrupt or we are not going to intermediate what we see is that main system which was giving the approval to those contractors we set up another algorithm side by side so instead of before sending a decline we just used to check with their other algorithm and if the answer is yes we used to send them the other answer so it was as simple as you are visualizing it that in their current system which is so their connection with the partners remain as is we never and that was the beauty of the scalability of this product that 
you don't need to disrupt their current work. But that was just a test case. No, that is not the fundamental business model, right? In your fundamental business model, you are bringing a suit of lenders uh, to retailers where you have built those partnerships with. But but this uh, renovate model helped you validate the technology. Absolutely, you could not have said better. Actually, this was the first stepping stone to validate the one the fundamental aspect of the technology where a lender can underwrite a consumer without seeing them, without bringing them to that platform, and that was a fundamental. Because once you are able to accomplish that, now you can think about the use cases are enormous because ultimately what we visualize in the system is as a consumer, when you are going and going to a merchant, now whether you use a credit card product, you use an installment lending, you need any other lending solution. If your bank can connect you at that point in time and raise their hand, there's no need for you to go and seek financing elsewhere. Right now, so that was our idea was that Instead of, so very simply, because we have fundamentally changed how banks, so instead of bank calling the customer, so suppose you are on a United Airlines side and bank is saying, hey, come and apply with us, come and apply. I am saying, why you are saying to the consumer, come on, just raise your hand in that ecosystem that actually I got you covered. I have these three products for you ready whenever you want to use them. So this, and then if Tushar has a relationship with bank A, and Akshay has a relationship with Bank B. Tushar should be offered by Bank A. Akshay should be offered served by Bank B in the same ecosystem. Because merchant doesn't care, to be honest, around that. So that is our visual around creating a network where we can connect lenders to these platforms where consumers are coming and they require financing and, and offer them at the point of need rather than building that expensive value proposition. You know, first consumer going, going here, finding a product, then going to the lender, saying, I want to apply, then coming back. It's, um, so uh, I want to go into the nuts and bolts of this integration with lenders, uh, which you did through blockchain. Um, the way I understand it in India, it's mostly like an API integration where uh, you can uh, send the customer data, like say the PAN, Aadhaar, whatever details through an API integration to the lender and then get back as a result, like approved, denied or what percentage or whatever those data points you will get back. How is your approach different from this API-based approach? Very fair question and very direct question. So there are three things which are in the API-based. Again, as I said, when you're sending an API, you have to decide how you are going to send it to multiple lenders. You can send it to all of them. You can send it one by one. And then you see every time you send an API, then this lender has to pull their own data, whether the civil data or bank data or whatever to underwrite. So now think about, now just imagine an ecosystem where you land on a merchant. And as I said, that multiple lenders is the need. There's no single bank in the world which can say I can write underwrite every one of them. So now just think about the requirement that at some point, just keep the API model. Now, how much inefficient is the system? One is that you have to decide the order image. You can send it one by one or you can send it to all. Why can't you just get the bureau report and also send that with the API to everybody? Because you're saying the problem is each bank asks for the bureau report and that hits the bureau report score because there are so many queries coming to the bureau for the score of that person. So this is one of the regulatory constraints which how Bureau is saying because Bureau is saying that I, I want to keep a track of the body who has requested for the report so that I know where the issuer is applying, who has access to it and how they are being evaluated. So intermediaries are not allowed to... So nobody, even a bank cannot share the Bureau report with another bank because other bank has to make an inquiry and make it transparent to the consumer also that I looked at your... And then Bureau says that if I have, if a bank you have looked at a consumer report, then you have only two options. Either give him a product, him or her, or give them a decline and the reason for decline that why I cannot underwrite it. 
So that's the why the consumer always get a decline. A bank cannot hide a decline because they have to be very transparent to the consumer. That they cannot just sit back and say, no, no, I, I will not talk to you. And if they have a product, they have to present a product to the consumer. So, so now the thing, so there's a cost aspect to it that everybody has to pull the same data. Second is the experience aspect to it. So either it's a waterfall or you get all the product at once. Now think about on a merchant, you are trying to buy a washing machine and now you have to choose between seven products. Are you shopping for washing machine or are you shopping for credit product? Merchant don't, don't want them. Right. So this API-based model had these. And then the PII. Now what happens is how you're going to control that your PII, personally identifiable information. So your personal information, your name and address. So your personal information is now shared with and lenders. Now, banks can be respectful. Some people may not be as respectful. As a merchant, now, if you start receiving phone calls, what your experience would look You went to a very premium merchant and now suddenly when you walk out, you are getting phone calls from XYZ company. Hey, do you want a loan? Or you're getting emails. Very poor experience, right? Unless you control for So, So now I'm telling you, these are the three fundamentals. So in our case, we don't send the information to them through an API. Through a blockchain, we are bringing the underwriting model to here. So we are underwriting inside merchant environment. So what we are doing is that we are pulling the bureau. And let me run your algorithm. Give me access to your algorithm without knowing what is inside it. And I will pull the data and run it one, two, three, four, five. Now I have an answer. Yes and no, yes and no, yes and no, yes and no. Now, if Akshay has a preference towards bank A because they are their client, it's a better product for us. Let me just present bank A product and tell Akshay, congratulations, you are approved for bank A. Do you want to continue? If Akshay says, yes, great. Then you say, click on it. And now you're going to a bank. You directly deal with the bank. Now it's an API-based model takeover. It's just the first step. I just created a more efficient process as a preliminary step before taking over the API-based product. Because now, if you are declined by A, B, and C, I can directly connect you to the D. I never shared your information with ABC. So you never received a phone call from us. Before sharing your information with D, I asked for your explicit permission that you want to go to D. If you somehow you don't like D, you can just kill it there and walk out. Right. But I solved for the economics of this because the efficiency I I solved for the customer experience piece of it. I solved for the declines because if you go to the D, you never receive a decline from ABC because ABC never looked at you. They never evaluated you. I evaluated you on behalf of them. And because uh, you got buy-in from the bureau, so you were able to get the bureau report also. Uh, therefore, the customer doesn't get that negative marks of too many banks accessing the bureau report. Yeah, yeah. so my purpose with the bureau report, I told the bureau, so this model exists even today in the industry. So what people do is that people give them their subset of underwriting criteria that, hey, as a bank, because there is an aggregator channels like Policy Bazaar, like there are Credit Karma and Lending Tree of the world. So what those channels is that the lender gives them a high level criteria that, hey, if a customer FICO is below 700, don't send me it. So today, those criteria, so still these aggregators also pull the bureau report and they apply these high level criteria before pinging the API. So this is called a hybrid model. So we just taken this model to a different level. We are saying instead of applying some criteria, flimsy criteria, let me run the full underwriting once and then send you because now I have a 100% confirmation around it. Because I am running exactly the same logic because when I send the customer, you will again run the logic. But because the logic is the same, answer will be the same. Can you help me understand the blockchain technology and how it got used here? Like, you know, how did the algorithm come to you through blockchain? So, so basically what we do is that first we go to the bank and we say like, look, today you run decision engine instances. So you you use, because most of the banks use third-party decision, whether it's FICO, Blaze, there's an experienced decision engine, there are 
Provenir, GDS of the world, what they do is that they come and install a piece of software. So it is could be on-premise or off-premise. Big banks work in on-premise, they don't work off-premise. So they come, they said that, look, this is my environment. I will install Provenir or FICO Blaze platform. And that is the decision engine which builds connectivity to the bureau, bank, partner, underwriting criteria in this instance, and then execute. Okay. So this decision engine is like a SaaS product that banks use for running their underwriting function, which comes with a built-in integration with the bureau and banks can tweak the parameters uh, as per their requirement. Exactly. And this is a very common practice. Most of the banks use SaaS. We are saying that, look, we are also like a decision engine. So give us uh, your platform. We will come and install this SaaS platform inside your server, our software, and you park your credit policy here. You can manage it. We will give you a dashboard and you can manage your credit policy from there. But once I install your credit policy, so this is how it is Apple to Apple, how you're working with any third-party SaaS software, you can think about escape sense. Nothing changes in that. But so that is the first hurdle that I, I try to bring an Apple to Apple analogy around it so that they can understand that under which category they have to put us in. Once you do that, then the second question, then I said, how do I, so now this is where the blockchain, so this thing is connected over a blockchain network. It's a private blockchain. It's not a public blockchain. So it, all the connections are secured. So they are whitelisted IP based. So suppose, now let's just say that there's a merchant A on which I need to put. So I will go and ask bank that, can I have your permission to get your model executed in merchant A? So first bank says, yes. That means now my blockchain network. So there's a bank instance and there's a merchant instance. I will whitelist this IP address so that they both instance can talk to each other because without whitelisting, they will never talk to us. So it's not that you can add any other merchant and this will talk to them. So first level of security. But once they start talking to each other, then what will happen that they, the, the whole model which is there, it will get converted into a smart contract and encrypted. So encrypted version of a model, like a byte code, zero one version of a model will travel over the blockchain and now can be ex executed here. So think about it's a compiled version of their policy. So even if, if Skeps tries to look at it, they will just see an encrypted version of this and there's no head or tail you can make out of it. The only thing you can do is that if you ping the data to it, it will give you the yes and no and the product answer to you. So the model remains inside bank like any other decision platform permission-based access to so then encrypted version of the model travel to the other side of it here you can locally execute it and if anything changes here the new version will get reflected immediately here in the next transaction so if a bank changes, no one will know so if banks shut down their models if bank change their fico score the next transaction which will happen here that is the beauty of the blockchain because it's in real-time sync so that is how the blockchain is coming into the play just to make sure this system works nothing else Okay. Can you simplify this further? Uh, like, what is a private blockchain? And, you know, what you're talking about, again, it, it sounds like cloud technology to me, you know? I mean, cloud is also like real-time saying, what is the blockchain element here? Is uh, How is that different from cloud, API, and all of these? That's what I'm trying to understand. The biggest way to execute is around a black box kind of a technology, where you put your black box in a cloud and all. So bank can put their black box in a cloud, the entire thing. And you can ping the black box and you can get the answer. So one thing is I cannot ping bank because I cannot send the bureau data to the bank. But you are right. Can I park it in a, in a cloud where bank doesn't end and we can ping them? Absolutely. Now, when you park like a back black box in a cloud, now there come certain things. One is the black box now move out of the purview of the bank because now it is no longer in the bank firewall, the black box. One set of exposure that somebody can tweak with the black box and all, 
but can be managed, not big thing. You can still have an encrypted policy around there, so that can be managed. The third thing is, if you ping, like update to the black box. So now there are multiple systems who are connected to the black box. So if, now in, in blockchain, there's a concept of the, I will call it like double double payments and double coinage, but I will come to that later and I will relate to it. So now think about there's a central system and this is the problem with the central system. You have a central system, there's a body who is maintaining the central system and there's a body who is using this central system. Now you are constantly pinging this central system and you're maintaining it. How that thing is working, it's always a problem because who is updating first and who is using first. Now think about it. So I changed at 7.23 p.m. I changed my credit policy. If 7.24 transaction happened with my old credit policy or with a new credit policy, I don't know who can control this ping because it could be speed dependent on. Now think about in blockchain. Blockchain, every transaction is a sequential transaction block by block. Anything which happens on a network. Can you also define blockchain? Yeah, so blockchain is a very simple thing. Like it's a connection between two, like two or multiple bodies around it, and they are trying to, and they are executing the transaction simultaneously. And everyone is in consensus that this is a transaction happened, recorded, then move on to the next one, next one, next one. The how there's a concept called COSIP protocol, which which is like every node talk to each other, and that's how they remain in sync. So there's a constant gossiping happening between every entity of the node. And that's why all the nodes keep themselves updated that what is happening in each node, everyone is aware of it. A blockchain is basically like a distributed ledger, right? Like there's a ledger of records which 100 or 1,000 different entities are storing and they're constantly comparing and making sure that it matches across all 100 or 1,000 entities. Exactly. And then only when it matches, then the next transaction will come. Only when that is percolated, then the next transaction will come. So it's a very sequential process, but you're right. The traditional problem with the blockchain is that when you say thousands, it becomes slow because thousand or 10,000 or million. Ours is a private. So we are not talking about thousand. We are talking about 10, 15, 20, or maybe 2000 at max, like in future, if you go. So there's no problem of the speed around it because it's good. Also, our use case of what leisuring we are maintaining is very well defined. So you can further constrain it. But this is exactly how you define that they're constantly comparing nodes. So now think about there are now everything in a blockchain is a transaction. But what I say that suppose if if I am evaluating a credit profile, so I ping a data, that's a transaction in a blockchain. If someone updated their credit policy, it's a transaction. Not different people, different nodes are handling different things, but it's a transaction in a blockchain. Every can get recorded in a blocks over a period of time, but every transaction in itself and it gets recorded in this. Thing. So now what is happening is that the same system which we defined. Now merchant is pinging that system to as the consumer are coming, they are getting the whether this customer has a product or not, they are pinging a transaction. And issuer are updating that they may or may not be updating their credit policy. That's another transaction. But because in the network everything is sequential. So at any point of time, if an issuer says that, look, I'm expiring my previous credit policy and I, I this is my new credit policy. So first, the credit policy needs to get updated because it's a sequential. So even if you're trying to ping a system, you have to stop pinging the system first. First, you have to register this transaction, then you have to do that. So it becomes a very, very clean. There's never an ambiguity in the system that if you change your credit policy at 7.23 p.m., irrespective of how large the network is, the next evaluation will happen only with the updated credit policy. The second thing comes is how is there's no one tweaking around it? Who will keep a track of it? That is where because everything gets recorded in a system. It's a system of records from a ledger point of view and it's a trusted system of record. Nobody can go and when you, 
any bank can go and say, it's because my compliance team changed my credit policy at 7.23 p.m., I want to look at a transaction of 8 p.m. to 9 p.m. and see everything is perfect. So you just trust the technology that, look, this is where 7.23, this is 7.24 policy gets updated. This is the rest of the transaction. And no single transaction got evaluated with the prior pro. So this is, this is the kind of, an, now, can it be handled in a cloud-based environment? Maybe yes, but it will be very, very expensive to manage that, which is very natural to blockchain and very less expensive because of the way it is designed. You can handle it in a third-party API-based model, but it will become very expensive. Now, the other thing is, because it's a distributed system, it's a distributed ledger, your computing powers are all also very distributed. Now think about a central system which is supporting the entire US population, 300 million, because now you're every merchant. Now think about the amount of bandwidth you require from a central system to manage. Here, what we are saying is that a very small, small server in each of these organizations, because you can run it and the load is distributed. It's a beautiful structure. So those are the couple of advantages which, and that's why blockchain in general believe is designed to solve this centralization problem and move it to decentralize. The things with centralization trust is trust. By doing decentralization, the technology is taking over the trust of it. And then the bandwidth also, like who, who is the system of record? They are saying everyone is a system of record. Okay. And uh, these nodes uh, of this blockchain, these nodes are essentially the, the banks where you're installing it. Each, each bank becomes a node, uh, the bank or the NVFC. Exactly. Each bank become a node, each merchant become a node. And there's no central system. So there's no escapes in between. Bank is directly talking to the merchant. That's the beauty of it. So it's a completely distributed network. You can think about it. And everyone is talking to everyone. Permission based. If a bank says, I don't want to talk to merchant ABC, they can switch it off. That I have no issues around. Okay. So which is why the algorithm of uh, decision making is not shared anywhere because the bank's node only has the algorithm of that bank. Uh, but the decision of that algorithm is recorded as a transaction or a block. Very well said, actually. So that, is the, that is the other key thing is that this is the other advantage of the blockchain. That, and there are a lot of engineering goes that we don't want to share every piece of information from a ledgering point of view to every node. So the, the information that this is the policy cannot be shared anywhere in the node. But the answer of policy, yes and no, can be shared with that merchant node where they are clear around it. So, so we, we always record that information that the credit policy has been updated that every node knows that a bank has updated their credit policy. So that every node can work with a new policy. But what is the change in the policy? Only the bank node will know. No other node can know. This is a slight nuances on how we're managing the information. The same with the bureau data. So the merchant node knows what the customer bureau is, but that data is not shared in the anyone node. The only thing which is shared is that this is the customer comes for evaluation. That's all. Okay, got it. However, each merchant or bank would be able to see that distributed ledger of... Uh... But then that ledger will not have any personally identifiable information. They cannot, for example, see that this customer went through 10 different no's before getting a yes. They, they will not, because those 10 different no's will not have any personally identifiable information. That is the most critical. And that is the answer is yes. And that is how this network is supposed to operate. Because otherwise it will dissolve, the, it will it will just subvert the purpose of why the network is created. Because a bank should not know, unless until customer says, hey, bank, I want to work with you. Bank has no right to know the customer. And same with the merchant. Merchant has no right to know what the bank credit policy is. Right, right. Very elegant. I always feel that blockchain is like a speculative technology. You can bet on it as a speculation that this will make me money in future. But this is the first time I'm hearing of a real world 
uh, here and now kind of a use case of blockchain. Very interesting. Thank you for saying that. And this is something which our investors also said the same thing. So this is one of the things which we keep exactly the same words which you've used. And this is what we've used. And that is another challenge. We are also because of the blockchain's negative connotation with the speculative technology. So by repivoting that, that, look, there's an enterprise use case. And that is why we feel proud about it, that we found our understanding of the technology, we found a use case, which is relevant. We're not trying to force marriage that just for the sake of using blockchain. And actually, to an extent, to your point, because there's a negative connotation, we, a lot of times, all the complexity of the blockchain, we have to hide blockchain as a technology to our end customers. Because again, we are trying to just solve a problem. If there's a better way, actually, I am not honest. We tried hard that, because I knew everyone will ask the same question what you asked. Why not a centralized cloud system can solve? And we found hard and we are always open. Is there a better technology? There's no reason why, because we are solving a use case. We are not married to a technology. Our whole goal is to, if there's a better way, more elegant way to solve, but so far it fits so beautifully around it that we can't find a better elegant way. But at at any point of time, we are open to migrating if required. So are you like a, a crypto or a blockchain enthusiast? How did this idea come to your mind that blockchain is the solution? And, you know, because blockchain is not something which, it's not a mainstream technology. Like say cloud computing is mainstream and that would be the first way a person would think of solving a problem. So how did this come to your mind? So I, actually this happened around like 2016. So our company got away. We started working on the platform in close to end of 2017. Uh, but it's some, somewhere in 2016, 17 start and end of 2016 we were toying with the idea of the two technologies we wanted like we just decided like me and uh, Prerith, uh, my other co-founders so we started talking about these two things like artificial intelligence or blockchain because again in the financial world i saw that these technologies have arrived and big enterprises have started exploring very very strong use cases around it but we were also very clear that there's no designed use case so far like nobody has cracked the use case but the general acceptance of the technology is there. Like Bitcoin was always there, but there was a cryptocurrency use case. But in general, like where supply chain, even this now the NF, NFT, like the signatures and also we always like, we were very familiar with the music industry at that point. It was in an infancy, but we were very, so we said, let's pick up a technology and we invest in it. When I say invest in it, we will train certain resources. We will build some knowledge around it. And our idea was that either we will come up with a use case or mostly if an enterprise come in, then we may have our resources to support them. That was a very, very, very basic idea around it. So Prerith went and become a certified Ethereum developer. So he did a course and all, he became a certified Ethereum developer. We started doing a couple of projects also, like uh, the crypto exchange project that was very popular at that time. You can easily get 20, 30 grand with a one day of work. <laughs> so we did for one company, but then we saw how people were using it and how people were taking it to the market and we didn't feel comfortable around it. So we immediately said that, yeah, we got the learning. We don't need to do it more around it. We we, we started toying with the idea of micro payments. So suppose in an influencer business, you're promoting a post on a Facebook and all. So instead of paying in a lump sum, can I do in a micro payment like a result oriented? If you got so many likes, can I pay you for those likes? And you can think about moving two cents or 15 cents on any existing credit card rails good luck with that because the cost of moving the money will be. So payments fit that, okay, we can we move micro payments around it because that is where the blockchain was again efficient. So we started playing with this couple of ideas because we were toying with the technology very, very closely and at a very deep level, trying to create a use cases. So we have a very strong familiarity. And then at the second, and as you see that I was talking to the lenders and merchants and we're trying to solve a problem. So it just 
by design happened that because of because we tried hard to understand the technology and we found the business use case that's how we married that to, together mm-hmm. okay and uh, predator was also doing this on on the side uh, with his uh, existing job at the time when we were playing with the blockchain he did it with our side but then oh, like once we find up like the, when we started focusing on the micro payments and all we need to go dive that is when he decided to quit the job and focus on the use case to hire a team of a small developers so he can train them so that is where somewhere in 2000 yeah 17 They they decided to make it a full time period in my. So like uh, for those first two years, it was largely like a service business. Like you were providing services to companies which wanted something built. Actually, I would not say first year was almost six months before we doing it. But at six months, it was more like a service business. But it was mostly self funded. We were not looking for money from that point or standing. So it was mostly to get familiarity with that technology and building a product and to get to a. like where we can it becomes a viable product to take it to the industry and see if we can get funded for that idea so it was not generating business or services based model it was just building a product we happened to get some money just by doing one or two small projects but we never focused on that and did you actually launch that micro payments product or it it remained like a beta thing it remained like it remained a beta version of it okay because this was obviously more compelling because there's a immediate uh, i mean adoption is kind of going to be much faster Yeah, basically in a B two B, this is a, in a B two B you can get your first client, you can see the money around it. In, in micro payments, we were thinking about building the whole network ourselves, and that you can think about right, building a consumer brand or talking to Facebook itself. Yeah, yeah, that was like a moonshot. When did this uh, pilot happen with Renovate? Yeah, so first thing happened is that, and that is that I wanted to pitch in the story of our like funding and also we were very clear that look, we need to get funded because these things required money. And and to support a B two B client is it's not as small like somebody is trusting a trust on their entire business and you have to be capable enough to report right. You got lucky, but again the respect portion comes back again. So we were very clear that before launching a pilot or anything, we will need to talk to the like get funded and we need we need to have a muscle to support it. That is where Axel came. Like we were talking to them because of our prior experience of talking to VCs, we knew so at least we knew how to get to that table around it. so we we didn't have a long labor to finding who so we did did send couple of mails the people whom we talked in our prior lives we just sent them a note and all we said look let's just connect and uh, generally bc community at least they they they're always here to listen that i found them good about it that it's good so when we started discussing around it uh, it clicked with the axel the idea clicked and again i think the work, the thing which worked most in our favor of that anybody who goes and said let me do a small due diligence because as i said the problem was so well established about this multi lender and how this waterfall approach works that when you go and talk to the people it is a very real problem like no merchant will say that this is not a problem <laughs> or this is not an issue like peep customer getting declined is not an issue so they were immediately so they found the same uh, credibility on the street that the problem is real so if these guys are have a solution and then we said that look this is a blockchain solution so it makes sense fun, like conceptually and that is where axel got said that yes you guys are the right like you know the industry well you have the technology prowess to make it happen let's just try it out so we uh, they they seed funded us and then in 2018 uh, january we got the money and then in august 2018 we launched the product with the client okay so how much did you raise in seed fund a seed fund we raised a million dollar got it okay Tell me the journey from seed fund to where you are today. So you raised that seed fund a million dollars, then you built the private blockchain and you did the pilot. Uh, so wh- when you did the pilot, how many nodes were it? Obviously, merchant node is only one, which is Renovate. How many lender nodes did you have by then? So we had a couple of like non-revenue generating lenders again because for the reason we wanted to adopt them. 
So at that time we have three lender node on that time, uh, but re but Renovate was our first use case, first revenue generating use case as a merchant point of view. So at that time we have four lender nodes around it, and everything was functioning functioning. Uh, after launching Renovate, we got another success with one of our very very big account called Service Finance. So they were in the same space as Renovate, but they are one of the largest home improvement contractors. So Renovate is a small, like comparatively smaller company, but Service Finance is a very, very big. So that was our second biggest win that we were able to convince. And again, it goes from one like because now we have a proven model and here's a much bigger problem to solve. So and the owner of Service Finance, the CEO of the Service Finance, we talked to him. He himself talked to us as let me understand the blockchain, why we are doing it. He was and that is when he, he blessed the project. So that is what our second major win was there and it was a huge account for us. Then, yeah, so that, that is why we were, we got, and then we also, like, then our, the other thing is that in our product, the advantage of our product is that uh, is a concept of network effect. The thing is that if we work for one lender with their one merchant partner, and if that process works, then our lender partner says, hey, can we work with our other merchant using the same technology? And the same with merchant. If a merchant is working with different lending partner, then they can say, hey, can you plug into the same technology around it? So we call it a double flywheel effect. Again, we are still at the cusp. We have not gone to the next time where this could hyper growth. But at some point of this, this two-sided network takes time to create. But our advantage, but our advantage of two-sided network is that at some point when you have enough scale, then both sides will start promoting you for the right reason. Because once you have enough enough weight on both sides, then they will say, hey, why not? I have these, you have four of my lenders. Can you plug in my two more lenders into this platform? And the lender will say, you are working with my four my merchants. Can you plug in these seven more merchants around this side? So it, it becomes a very quickly a twist process. So with service finance, that was one of the things that service finance is such a huge contractor network that a lot of lenders wanted to work with him. And service finance is that this is the only platform through which we can work together. And that is where we got another flywheel effect. And now I started adding more nodes from that service finance. And then we started, we got some merchant in the medical space because home improvement was first. Then we started working in the medical space because medical space has the same issue that these are $5,400,000 dentist treatment or surgeries, dental implants, and people were looking for financing solutions. So those high ticket items becomes a very good thing. And then, and then yeah, and that is how we started. So we first we penetrated the vertical, home improvement, medical, we signed one one clients, we went into small business financing. So we, we we got a client like eBay where we got a small business financing, a multi-lender small business financing. And then finally, we got into a retail segment with one of our, like our recent in August. In this year, we launched with First National Bank of Ma, which was a bank. So, so far, we were working with the fintech lenders. Now we actually got a launch with a bank where we're doing a retail transaction. So now we are coming into the buy now, pay later. So starting from high value transaction or point of sale, more traditional financing, we came to the almost the intersection of the BNPL where you are not doing pain for pain five kind of a transaction at a $200. So it was a good journey, but now it, 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 and we are developing more and more tools to support that. Mm. So this First National Bank partnership, uh, just uh, tell me a bit more about it. Like First National Bank will now allow the merchant nodes, all of the merchant nodes to send their uh, data to First National Bank. So the First National Bank is so nothing. I don't know if you're familiar with a company like Affirm or Klarna's of the world, where Affirm and Klarna's they are launching embedded finance, where you are on a website and you are trying to buy a product, and you can just apply very seamlessly that financing on the product and check out. You don't have to go leave the merchant website. Everything is very seamless. So 
if you look at Affirm, there are two parts. Affirm is a technology that how to do the merchant integration, how to take consumer application, how to make the, how to settle the funds with the merchant. There is a lot of technology integration work stuff. And then Affirm as a lender, because they are a balance sheet lender, of course, they are borrowing money, but they are extending capital. So what we did as a company that we said, we can do underwriting. We created UI, UX. So we, we took Affirm as a tech. That is the tech stack we created in the last three years, complete tech stack. So anything related to the BNPL or point of sale financing, and we are very further. You want to do point of sale financing on a merchant website, we have a tech stack. You want to do a point of sale financing when the merchant walks in, consumer walks into any store, like as they are roaming around the store, they can point out to the QR code, complete the entire application right there and check out. You want to do financing through a, affiliate channels like a contractor and all where you are not directly talking to a consumer but either a medical representative or a contractor is talking to them we have a platform for that so we created an entire tech stack of bnpl point of sale financing and now we are talking to the bank for speed to market we have the entire tech stack so you plug it into our tech stack it's a white label tech stack and we can so we are saying that look you have these co-brand relationships so bank already has their religion we said that we have a tech stack, so you can connect to your man. So within three months, we are able to make them live right from the zero where they stand. We created an experience which is completely at par with the most advanced system out there. And that is our core offering, which is somewhat when we're starting the discussion, you were telling me about the other companies which are doing the same thing. So think about as a BNPL slash point of sale financing tech stack, which is completely customizable and designed to handle much broader set of products. It could be credit card, it could be $10,000 10-year 10 loan, and it could be $200 paying for transaction, and you can walk out of it. So First National Bank, when it came, then First National Bank asked all their merchant partners to whom they were providing the service to also come on to Hype to adopt Skeps, and therefore, uh, that would have given you a big boost. Or did First National Bank just use it to plug into the already existing merchants on Skeps? Right now, they're using it to all, so not existing. So they're using a tech stack to enable this BNPL on every merchant. So we are starting one by one. So not this is not happening in one motion. So we just enable it with their largest co-brand partner in this year. Now they are talking to each of them and saying, that, look, I have now a platform which can enable buy now, pay later or any point of sale financing on your platform, whether install or not. And then now merchant is signing for that product one-on-one -on -one with the bank. So bank sale team is doing the thing. We have just given them a plug and play solution, which they can just give it to their merchant and say, this is how you can get it out. So it's our tech stack, which is connected. But the advantage of the network is that at some point of time, if a First National Bank has an approval rate challenge, we can bring another NBFC into this mix with their approval because they are connected. It's just switching it on. So if they need, I can connect that. So, but that is the discussion we will have happen over the journey around it. Okay. Currently, uh, it, it is not like if you become a part of the private blockchain of Skeps, then you have access to all merchants. You th That will be like configured that for this lending partner, the configuration allows him access to these merchants and vice versa. For this merchant, the configuration allows access to these lending partners. So, so it's, it's like a configured thing right now. Right, actually, so you think about like building a network is a very expensive proposition, right? And then in that expensive proposition, merchant acquisition is the hardest part. Because everyone is competing to create a merchant relationship because now you are you are competing with not only the people who have the same product, 
but you are competing with co-branded deals. People have co-branded. You are competing with Shopify, WooCommerce of the world that they are enabling the merchants around it. Salesforce. So there are a lot of platforms for which merchant interact, and also there's a lot of competition around the merchant. So the way we are thinking about this journey is an ecosystem that today we have taken an approach that let's start with a bank because bank already have a relationship with their own merchants. And it's not easy to disrupt those relationships on day one. If you ask to American Airlines and say that leave city and work with another lender, those are exclusive contracts you cannot just get. So that is one extreme format. Then there are other, other integrated solutions already there, right? May not be the most optimal, but they have an integrated. So how we are approaching is that first we are going with the banks because they become our distributed channels to bring the merchants around. So that is how we are approaching the network problem. Because for bank, our value proposition is very clear. Again, I always go with the problem statement. Bank's problem statement is simple. Their merchants are asking, can you enable buy now, pay later or point of sale financing for us? Bank is saying, I have the products. I don't have the platform. It will take me 24 months to build a platform. We are coming with a solution. Bank, we could be your stopgap solution to stand it up in very, very short period of time. So you can order. Over a period of time, we are completely modular. If you want to bring certain things in-house, you can bring so that's how our first network is building. So we have got one bank, we are talking to more banks around it, but all are white. Then over a period of time, we will have a network of banks and merchants. Of course, it is still a one-on-one, -on -one, but then we can go to the merchant and say, is there an opportunity to bring another lender into the network? Maybe two banks into the same merchant, why not? If they have a complementary product, because one bank is doing power sports financing and another bank is doing only the home appliances. Can they both work? Why not? So, so that network will take time to develop. Right now, we're just approaching from the bank to the, rather than going to a direct merchant acquisition. Uh, how do you monetize it? Do you charge like a one-time installation or is it a per transaction or is it a per lead or I mean, what's the model? Yeah, so we are on the success-based model. So it is like, it is a toll-based collection. So every time, so think about any network like a Visa or MasterCard. So every time a transaction, successful transactions happen, we collect a fees for that transaction. Right now, that is our go-to market. Yeah, what do you define as successful transaction? When the actually customer gets the financing from the bank, that is what we design as a successful transaction. Okay, okay. So, so bank shares that information with you that uh, he has been granted financing. Right. So basically, banks share that information back to us. When we share the lead, we of course, some part of the information is already in our funnel. The last piece of it that it is get approved, that is shared in our network. And then we, when we charge them. Now, are we open to other licensing models and all? Yes, we, we can, particularly in certain scenarios. But our go-to is, and so far, all our transition models is a toll-based collection model on a successful. Which is how the industry works. So again, it's easier for them to adopt it. That's why I'm saying that because it's such a new space of BNPL and point-of-sale financing that no one has a defined PNL on what the cost would look like and all. So having a unit cost associated with a transaction, with a, because when a bank book a loan, they know how much money they are going to make that loan. So then it becomes very clear that we are only at this fraction of a cost of that transaction and does we fit into their unit economics or not. So it becomes a very, like right now it's a very clean and, and that is something which banks are also, also asking us to keep that model now. If someone in future asks to change, we can think about it. Now you'll earn only if the bank is earning. So so your, your interests are aligned. No, I think that, that that is one of the other fundamental things that I want my interest to be aligned with the client interests and vice versa. So that we both invest together in optimizing this solution. Because again, there's no blueprint out there. What is work? And, and that is the problem I'm solving. So 
tech problem in a point of sale financing is the first problem I'm solving to enable multiple financial institutions to do point of sale financing because right now it's only a handful of companies which are doing it. So we are trying to stand up this ecosystem. So there are many banks are doing it. Once many banks are doing it, then you go to the second level of. So first, I look at tech as just the first level of solutioning around it to enable that transaction. But our goal is is the conversion that if Akshay went to a website or Tushar went to a website and they click on apply financing, 80% of the time they should check out with that financing option. Today, that number stands somewhere in 20 to 25% range. And the reason could be manifold. You may not get the right product. You may not higher product, higher APR or no. You may not have the brand affinity with the lender. So there are, or it could not be the right financing product with the, with the type of equipment or appliance you are trying to buy. So over a period of time, I want to have the data to tell me that if Tushar is coming and they're trying to buy a washing machine, I should be able to present this type of a product so that, and if Tushar never select that product, something in the platform didn't did work right. So that is the next level of problem. So tech is the starting point, but once we have this, this is the problem we are, we have an eye on it that this is what our problem to attack. So what is the percentage that you charge? Like, So it can go from 30 basis point to all the way to 1.5% depending upon different measure, but it is somewhere like 30 basis point to 1% you can say on an average. So what is the denominator here? Like of the funding amount. So suppose if you complete a $200 transaction, like say $1,000 of transaction, then our fees will be say 50 basis point around it. So $5 around it. There would be uh, apprehension in the mind of lenders that these smaller merchants that they have acquired and then plugged into SCEPs could tomorrow be directed by SCEPs to other lenders, thereby reducing their power in the... Because now, uh, you know, a merchant is not dependent on that lender to provide the BNPL to their customers. Fair point. Actually, that, that, that is one angle to think about it. But I let me just present a picture around it and then see if their argument still holds around it. One is that we are very clear right from the start that, as I said, my goal is the conversion goal. My goal is not to create a marketplace or because, and that's why I'm not a lead based model. Because I'm not saying that, hey, I can generate leads for you and let me charge lead because that will put into the category of like how many leads I can distribute in the ecosystem. So when you're focused on a conversion based model, there are something fundamentally which aligns. One is that if a lender is doing a good job on a merchant currently, I have no incentive to move them out or put that lead to someone like so ours and their incentives are aligned second thing is that generally like marketplace approach now you have to think about how many user ex- ux experiences different fulfillment experiences you have to align if i plug in four or five lenders so the most the very logical thing for us also is to do is to bring a complementary product set in a merchant and in a very very small amount because fundamentally i would like to keep the lenders as small as possible and try to bring as many complementary product as to the mix now if the same lender can offer it I think it will work, work best for all the three par- four parties, lender, merchant, consumer, and steps in general. So at least I don't foresee a challenge where I will purposefully try to harm the interest of the lender when my revenue model is tied to that lender very, very closely around that. And if I perfected something with a lender, why why to disrupt that thing? <laughs> like, it will be not harm. So yes, you can think about control, but I think. Second is same as merchant also stand that way. If something is working, and good and with one it's it's a hassle to deal with seven parties or eight parties just for the sake of but through skeps it will not be a hassle right like 
Skips comes in the part of finding a loan for the customer and completing that flow. But now on the servicing side, if you have four lenders servicing your consumer, that may create an hassle for a merchant because consumer may call up and hey, this merchant, this customer, this lender is doing X, Y, Z things. So there are, it's not a very, like, still there are some inbuilt challenges around working with multiple lenders. Around. But at the same time, that should not stop from an ability to work with multiple lenders particularly. So from a small merchant point of view, I don't see I don't see there will be too much network that everyone. On the big merchants, they have a need to work with. Like even Chase cannot say that if on United Airlines, there are 60 million consumers are coming. Can you say that one credit card can fulfill all the 60 million consumers? They don't even have a balance sheet to have that. So in that, the problem becomes very different. In that case, when a consumer is coming, you have an Amex card, Tushar have a um, Chase card, somebody else has a Citibank card. When you're coming to a merchant, you take out your credit card, which bank credit card you have. Do you say that, no, because I am united, I will always do with Chase? No, that is not the expectations. And the same thing, I'm saying that that is the same thing which will BNPL will go over a period of time. There will be a standardization of the use of the product. So every bank has to have a product for their customer. But how the customer is going to use will be standard. Otherwise, the adoption will be different because if every time you have to go and educate customer that how to use my product, good luck with that education. So, so that is why I'm saying that. And the last thing which I will say is, again, I'm mixing two things, but a very close example is that Visa. Now, does Visa provide a network between the merchant and the acquirer bank? You know, absolutely, Visa server. Does Visa own relationships and disrupt relationship between the? No, they don't disrupt any of the relationships between the acquiring bank and all. But do they still provide a value into the system? Yes. And that's how we see us in enabling that thing. But we are not going to disrupt the contractual relationship. So I guess your primary incentive would be that if, for example, you see that there is a 40% rejection ratio, then can you bring in a new partner so that that 40% ratio comes down to 20%? And then for that 20%, which is still getting rejected, can you bring in a third partner? Essentially, like bringing that number as high as possible and only to do that is where you would introduce a new lending partner. That is that is exactly correct. I'm just telling you an example. Like, let me show you an example. The BNP of point of sale financing is so unique because when you have a credit card product, you just think about how much open to buy line I am, whether you buy a meal for your family, you buy an exercise bike, or you make a down payment of the card. It's the same way you swipe the card and you can done with it. Now I'm giving an example of BNP product. Now think about like one of the famous or one of the most successful financing platform is one is the iPhone financing. We I think every customer has a phone financing in some of fame form shape, right? Because we get it from our carrier. If if you ask someone how much they pay for their phone, people may have a roughly an idea around like 60 bucks, 70 bucks, 65 bucks. No one will be able to tell you exactly. Like think about they have a financing, but they don't know what they pay for it. Right? But if you ask anyone how what is the term of this phone, everyone tells you it's a two-year term. Then what it tells you that. Now think about a customer who's going to buy an iPhone and you present them a 36-month product. You will have a zero con- or close to zero conversion of them because the reason is that customer will pull the full money because they have to upgrade their device. They cannot lock themselves into a three-year financing. So you see how conversions are related. To- so it's nothing matters. So now you, you can think about that, hey, all day long as a lender, I was giving a better financing. I was lowering their monthly payments. But why a customer is not taking my product <laughs> Because there's a something fundamental about the thing which they are trying to buy and that you are able to do. 
And that is where in future this data cap will come. So it, that is my point. Is that at some point I will tell that, okay, for phone, you have to have a 24-month financing. I will tell you one more example. Peloton. Peloton is a, one of the very successful financing program for a firm. And there the term is 39 month. Now think about a consumer doing that mental calculation of 39 month term. Three year makes sense. Yeah, like when will when, when, when my financing hit? July or September 23rd, right? Something. But consumer is not bothered by it because what they've done is that they make it 49 month, $49 a month. What this means is consumer is saying, hey, I cancel my gym membership and I put that money in $49. That's all I need to make. Now think about, they don't even care how expensive, I know it's a 0%, but even if you charge the APR, customer will not, because they are repivoting money. They are spending that $50 to their gym. They are saying that, let me put, how long it goes, it doesn't matter to me. Because it's not going from my pocket, I'm just repurposing. So now in a Peloton bike, you do it at $55 a month financing with three year, two year, and you will conversion will drop. So at some point of time, so my goal will be to work with the merchant and all. Say, and then there will be a different type of consumer. Some consumer likes 0% because they sit high in the credit spectrum and some customer will have a affordability that they need to have a $24 per month thing because they, they are living from paycheck to paycheck. So my goal is work with the merchant and say that look, those many customers in these cohorts select the product and we have only 20% conversion here but 80%. So here you are all good. Here 20%. Maybe there's a need for another product. Let us talk to the lender. Lender says, I can create a product. Let's try that product. Lender says, because of XYZ reason, I cannot create a product. I cannot go more than two years. Can we find a lender who can go to three years and bring them up? So it's a single focus of solving the conversion around it because how the conversion fall is a secondary thing, whether through more product, through more lender, we can bring more. You are focused primarily in the US. Like, do you plan to come to India also? Or? No, we are. We are. We absolutely. So, our is a global plan. As you said, right? The so first thing from a principal model, you see, you saw, right? In our conversation, you saw it as a product agnostic, where I talk like, I can do pain for, I can do tenure, I can do medical, I can do home improvement, I can do retail. The same is, we are also geography agnostic because the platform is designed that way. So, but today our sales is focused in US because that is where we are growing and we are focusing not to. We, are, we cannot spread too thin. But today we have an inbound interest from a couple of, so there are discussions going in APAC region with one of the lenders, but those are inbound. I am talking to South African Bank also. There's some discussion in Europe going on, in Canada going on, but those are all inbound. And again, wherever like this can come, we, we will go there. So platform is truly global in nature. We have no restrictions or no constraint around it. Mm-hmm. But your sales would be fairly intensive because there is a configuration element to it. Like you need to configure it. It's not like self-service where someone can just put an email ID, enter an OTP and they're ready to go, right? Like it's not like that, no? Right. So yes, our sales for a bank partner is like that. But once the bank partner is enabled, then their product can be distributed very seamlessly. So today like merchant integration could be self-service integration around it. So think about, again, today we are with one bank, but suppose if today our first national bank of Omaha, they want to say that I want to create a page where merchant can come and register. And this is my standard contract and these are my standard products. So they can go and get the API documentation from the website directly and implement it. Merchant integration is self-service and it's almost a tech stack, which is a, which has become a table stake. I'm not going to say that we are 
but we are almost at the verge of that like where we like last merchant we did it in the integration is over phone because they were a standard woocommerce merchant so actually our plugin that over a phone a non technical person in 5 minutes actually installed the product in, in front of us like a conference call first time so merchant integrations are very standard because once the tech stack is built for a lender it can be so short answer is that if our lenders are okay then we can distribute it to the through different channels very easily Mm okay okay so i guess for merchants you would have got standard approaches for like you said woocommerce or shopify or whatever platform they're using it would be like a just like putting a plugin basically it has to be a plugin it has to be a plugin so right now we have a couple of plugins already created we are working on it if you are a standard website it's two line of java code which you can put it into their website so merchant integration is like you know right most of the merchant doesn't even have tech resources or they don't even have a bandwidth around it so So that's why I'm saying scalability will come from a merchant side, not from an issuer point. Issuer will always be a two-three months cycle around it and a longer cycle around. And uh, you've raised another round of funding also, right? After that initial seed round from Axel. Yes, yes. So last year in uh, in actually this year, this year in June, July, uh, we we closed with Bertelsmann. Of course, Axel also participated in it. So all that, and then we we also involved a couple of strategic. investors so there are a couple of strategic relationships also coming in which want to use our platform in certain verticals so yeah we we raise nine what is the plan in terms of fundraise like when do you see your next fundraise happening and what do you want to use funds for i guess funds would be primarily for sales like like because your sales is especially the sales to lenders that would be like a upfront investment yeah so as you can think about right so our tech platform wise it will be you are right there are two major categories one is the product development and platform development around it and then the sales so product as i said that we are continuously building so we are already ahead of the industry in terms of how our capabilities or tech stack so you so let me just give you a so today we have the tech stack of the integration which are almost at par or even better than the current competition so but now i have to focus on what we just described building a ai or a data driven tool which can focus on the conversion so build all the tools which banks and merchants can leverage to accelerate that so do and then expanding it making it omni channel so right now i just talk about online and offline i am saying there's suppose someone abandon your card so someone come to your shopping they abandon your card can i send them an email with a pre approved message that Actually, you never apply for financing. You never check for financing, but you just abandon your card with a three hundred dollars or what? I mean, actually, I mean, today merchants send a abandonment card mail that hey, your item is still waiting for you to check out. But let's just arrange financing to it that you can check out this at forty two dollars a month. Now that is happening on the website. Can I include that message in on email? Not a big ask, but you have to build that seamless thing around it so that it has become the truly omnichannel. Suppose. in a b2b sales a lot of people take orders over phone because you need a customization i need to order 10 laptops two printers in a business to business can we integrate financing over a phone channel that someone who is taking an order can offer you hey by the way you are approved for financing around it so we are trying to make this financing much more omni channel in that which industry is right now not there and i i'm not saying even i have the youth like people have a need but is this the most pressing need not now for they want to enable it on their website but our vision is clear so that is where that is where the primary is going again creating that product stack ensuring that our lenders currently can scale up so we create enough plugins so that they can distribute into the ecosystem okay got it so uh, you know there there's this famous saying software is eating the world right uh, i think uh, for this decade probably a better saying is lending is eating software in the sense that 
lending companies are where value is being created, which are, uh, you know, kind of disrupting traditional software companies. Uh, why do you think that is happening? Why is lending so powerful? And, uh, you know, I mean, that's what all the VCs are betting on. So why, why do you think that is? Uh, let me say it that a different way. So you are right that fintech or the like this APIs and all they were the last decade was all about it. Like there were companies who can say that if you are a lender and you want to issue a credit card, we have a credit card as a service. So there was a lot of deep bundling. So all the functions which our banks used to do, so creating a saving account, checking account, getting a credit card, making a payment. There was a lot of deep bundling happened in the last decade about it, where these people take in these individual services and say, there's a better way to do it back. There's a better way to reach out to the customer. There's a better way to adoption and there's a better way to bring efficiency into the whole process. So tech played a huge role. Now, where we are coming in this, in this, what you are seeing is a cusp of transition where they are saying that it is now the debundling has worked and everyone accepted. Now it's a rebundling because what is what all fintechs are getting stuck is that they have shown that there's a great way to make this individual process work. But the reason bank exists that bank, bank have a deep relationship with the consumer because on a single transaction, you cannot make money because that's how the thing is that because if banks just give you a saving account, you know, right? That unit economics doesn't work. Bank gives you actually pay you interest rate on that. So just giving you a saving account won't work unless until I can put your mortgage. I can give you mortgage. I can give you auto loan. So now each fintech cannot have the depth of the product which banks have because it's very difficult to create these products. So now people are hitting that profitability mark around these things that I need have more products. Now some people are trying to say, I'm mean, this is where a firm and all, again, I'm not taking a call on that, but this is where some people have to go because these binocular layer in a transaction value, they're negative transaction. But from a customer acquisition point of view, they are huge value around it. So now this is where banks, so this new decade you will see is a rebundling of this thing banking. So that's why you're seeing the focus is on the banks. I would not say lending as such because lending as a business will always live in a low margin business. You create, you cannot expand the profitability into the lending business. Uh, why is lending a low margin business? I, I mean, because I, so, you know, what I'm based on what I'm reading, like say, for example, cred, the reason why it's a unicorn is because of its lending play or uh, Paytm, Mobiquick, all of these uh, fintechs are uh, like, like they deserve the valuation that they do because of lending is what I'm reading. No. So yeah, I, I would say a different one of you because l lending is very simple. Lending is you have a cost of capital, so I give you money. You have to pay interest rate on the money as a bank or lender or anyone. Then you lend to the borrower and they pay interest rate. And sometimes um, that interest rate can be subsidized by merchant and all those things. But this is very simple, right? And then you have the losses and everything. And you have the underwriting model. Now, just break these components into it. Cost of capital for credit and Paytm, the cost of capital will always be high than SBIs or any bank around it because they are getting the capital from the deposit accounts and all. Credit is going to borrow it from the bank so their cost of capital can never be. So they already are a step starting behind the bank from a just cost. Of. So if, if you think about this margin, they're already starting at this one. So they're already pushed from there. Underwriting model. Everyone claims that they have a more sophisticated underwriting as I said. It. This is not, yes, you may have some advantage around it but the the data you are using is available. It's already the publicly available data on third party. It's not that anything new you are getting. You are still using bureau data now. Then it's just a catch-up date. It's I cannot say that you sitting in X company can have more intelligent people than bank. Like it doesn't work like that way. Like I don't see that model in the long run can create a differentiator around. So losses will also becomes 
same around it. And then if you're charging more margin, suppose if you're charging higher interest rate, then there'll always be a company which come which can give you at a lower interest rate because they just need 4% yield in the paper. So ecosystem is designed to around. So if a bank need a 4% yield on the paper or 5% yield, whatever that threshold, the ecosystem will already compress into that yield number because if you're generating more yield, people will, are going to give you more money into that. So your cost, you see, right, everything. Or you need to expand more. People will say that, hey, you're getting 10% yield. Why don't you increase your losses? Because I can work with 4% yield. So these numbers are so well-defined in the industry that it's very difficult to change. You can have a short-term game. Why Paytm or Cred or any new age company affirm is that what they're showing you that they can acquire a customer at a much cheaper rate than a traditional bank is there. That's the advantage they are getting. They're saying that uh, my customer is in my ecosystem all the time. So my customer can take a product much more easily and quicker than a bank SBI customer. That's the play they are doing. And that's why they're getting huge valuation because they're saying I can distribute product. And that's why my co- higher cost of fund justifies that. Now think about if a bank can enable this ecosystem, then there is no way they can compete because the cost of fund alone is such a huge differentiator between these that they do. And then there's a regulatory oversight and all. You just recently see CSP, CFPB just launched a regulatory uh, inquiry into a firm and clarinets of the world right now. So they will have to create those ecosystem what banks has created if you have to play mainstream. So long story short, I'm just telling you banks, the only disadvantage bank is one is the more regulatory oversight, which if you're becoming a mainstream payment system, you will also come under the purview of that. So that advantage will go away. The second thing will be a technology. And that's why I'm just saying that this is a rebundling. You will see a lot of SaaS companies getting traction. And that's why you're seeing that other API based model law because they're saying, if I can, model is all proven. If I can just enable bank to play in the same, compete in the same space, then bank will be a winner from a product point of view. Okay, got it. Yeah, so so for a standalone lending fintech company, uh, in the long term, a bank will always be able to lend at better rates. And if the bank has access to that kind of tech stack, then they are at the same playing field then, in a way. Yeah, because now if a bank has the same access to a tech stack, that right now merchant is working with an X company because they are saying you are easier to integrate. A bank is horrible for me to integrate around it. So that's why they're saying I'm willing to pay you margin. But if if bank tech stack is the same as the lending company, that's what we are trying to do. Right? We are reducing that. We are we are bridging that gap. So bank, bank now merchant will say my customer will get a four percent APR product, then a ten percent to twelve percent APR product on the side, and the only difference between four and ten percent is the cost of capital. Mm-hmm. So what is APR? Uh, in interest rate, annual percentage APR is equivalent to interest rate in US. APR includes interest rate plus any hidden fees. So there's an equivalent interest rate. No, no, equivalent. So basically sometimes people do charge origination fees or late payment fees or servicing fees. So they, they said it's a 10% interest product, but they're, so US regulation says that we don't care about the interest rate. You just account for each and every fees and tell the equivalent interest rate. So APR is an equivalent interest rate, which includes all fees. So you are essentially arming the banks to bring them on a level playing field with fintechs. That's that's the play. That's the play on that arming the banks because ultimately we believe that if this if this buy now pay later or points of sale ecosystem has to flourish, banks have come to the party. Banks cannot stay on the sidelines and only fintech can drive because fintech are good at showing what works, but ultimately banks have to play the role. Amazing. I see the potentials. Oh, how soon do you think you'll do your unicorn funding round? That is one thing which again my learning. As I said that I always said that I, I am one of a person who enjoys the journey. And that's why I'm enjoying that solving the problem, being in this ecosystem. 
if i solve a problem someone else solve the problem we'll see the result but when you see the result results are results <laughs> the fun ends there <laughs> fun ends either way like even if you are the one who are sitting at the pole position the fun ends you have to do something else <laughs> so no, i'm uh, um, i i keep my focus on our day to day thing and this just solving the problem and that's what if you like the founder thesis podcast then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing technology career advice books and drama visit the podium.in that is t h e p o d i u m .in for a complete list of all our shows